Um, and then, of course, we got to fly to Madrid in Spain. And uh, this was an interesting course for those that um, aren't aware. We actually ran on a Formula One track, um, which was in Spain. And um, it was a fantastic course, but it was definitely not it's not really a, a course designed for marathons. You know, it's not really your typical marathon experience. <laughs> and uh, this is number five for us. So we've done the first four and um, we're, we're racing again in the evening, in the dark um, and under the lights of the, the Formula One track. And uh, it, it did have some hills as well in it. Obviously, being a Formula One track, there are some, some lots of turns and some hills and then some downhills. So it was a fairly undulating course. And I think probably... Jonathan, if I recall, probably the most undulating course of the whole experience, just with the elevation and the turns. Um, walk me through what what was it like for you? Because you you had your wife come and join you as well in that experience, which I thought was just so amazing. Walk me through that race. Yeah, I was lucky. My my wife had planned to meet us in Spain for Marathon Five. We purposely planned that because I knew I would need someone to motivate me to finish this. And I, and I kept telling myself, if I can get to marathon five, still running, if I will, will have completed four marathons before I see her, then I think I can do this because I would have been more than halfway through. What I didn't know is that we had been put on the clock because as you just said, in Dubai, we had to rush back to the airport and quickly get to Madrid for marathon five. We only had 183 hours to finish this thing. And when I say 183 hours, people may say, oh, that's a lot of time. It's really not when you have to consider all the travel that we have to do. So it's not 183 hours of running. It's a 183 hours of total time from when we started the marathon in Cape Town to when we finished the last marathon in Miami. The runners had a total of 183 hours to complete the World Marathon Challenge. That's important because we had this huge delay in Antarctica. And then this long trip back to Cape Town before we jumped over to Perth that we lost so much time that we had to make it up. So the race organizers put us on the clock heading into Madrid saying, let's get these races done, get these racers done, excuse me, and get them back on the plane so we can get to our final two destinations. That concerned me a little bit because the news kind of started to travel through the competitors. And when it hit me, I was thinking we were supposed to have eight hours for every marathon. And I'd done the calculations back home before I left for this challenge and thought, well, even if I get hurt or I'm in bad shape, I can still do a fast walk and finish a marathon in eight hours. All of a sudden we were told we had less than that when we went to Madrid. And so I got a little bit concerned that I wasn't going to finish in time. And I was going to be the person holding everyone up. And cause I was the least accomplished runner of the group. Well, we get to Madrid. I see my wife and all of that goes away. When I, saw, when I saw her face, literally, I forgot about everything that I just told you about. I forgot that I was on the clock. I forgot where I was. I forgot I'd run four marathons. I, just, I was just so excited to see her. And I was just so enamored with the fact that she had made the trip over to Spain from Phoenix, Arizona to support me that all of that seemed so inconsequential. She decided, because she's a little mini beast, that she was going to run half of it with me. And so we devised a strategy. We had, I believe it was 12 loops, I think. Was that right? 12? Does that sound right for Madrid? 
I completely forgot how many loops of every race we had to do, to be honest. (laughs) I know. You and me both now. But she was going to run every other with me. And that we figured out would be a half marathon. So what made that fun for me and really a joyful experience is that I ran the first one with her. And we talked and we caught up. And she told me all about her trip because she had come over to Spain with a girlfriend. And they had spent time in Barcelona before they came over to Madrid. So I got to hear all about that. All of a sudden, lap number one is gone. Then I run lap two by myself, and all I want to do is run it as fast as possible to get back to her to lap three so we could talk some more. Because I was doing that, I put down my second fastest time of the entire World Marathon Challenge in Madrid. I was about 4.30, so it was not as fast as Perth, which I'm fine with my my PB being on, on Australia, but I was quite fast in terms of where my ability was and where I thought I could I could log times at, at at this point in the journey. So marathon five was my second fastest marathon, but I had a little snag and it was similar to what you experienced in Dubai, but I did not handle it in any way nearly as good as you did in Dubai. <laughs> I get to the, the final lap. I knew I was at the final lap because my wife was running every other lap. I'd caught up to one of our fellow runners, Chris, for the final lap, and he was exactly where I was in the race. So he'd never passed me, he'd never lapped me. And we were talking about this racetrack and running on it and all the undulation in the hills and how unique that was. And he's like, hey, look, why don't you finish by yourself? That way you can get the photo with your wife. And I was like, great. So he went ahead and he finished. And then I come into pit row, which is where they had the finish line set up. And I am almost at the finish line. And they were setting up the finisher tape for the purposes of a photo. And all of a sudden they drop the tape as I'm coming up to it, they drop it and they say, you have one more lap. And I knew I didn't have one more lap. And I was so unbelievably frustrated that I just lost my shit. And I just literally blew up because I was, this is marathon five. Now we're not, this is not like we haven't done four marathons before this. And, and now I'm being told I had another lap to go when I didn't, when I was done when I knew I was done and I was excited to be done, all of a sudden I was told I wasn't done. And so I lose it. They quickly go back to their self-calculation and they correct it just like they did with you. But the moment had passed. There is a photo of me. The, the smile back is completely forced because I was, <laughs> I was so mad that I did a quick like little smile just for the purposes of a photo and then stormed off. And I actually was so irritated with everything at that point that my wife had a car waiting for her because she was going to go back to her hotel before she flew back to the States the next day. I jumped in her car with her and I had them take me back to the airport. Didn't even get anything to eat. Didn't change. Just left because I needed to just get away from that situation. And my wife was able to calm me down in the car and and then I eventually met up with you all and and off we went for a marathon six and seven. <laughs> Oh, what a what a way to end number five, hey! And look, I know that you're recounting a very frustrating situation, but people do underestimate uh, the psychology that it takes, not just to to run marathons, but when you really push your limits of what you believe you can do, you're in uncharted waters. And so, learning how to mentally deal with the challenges that come your way is is quite a difficult thing to do. And and I feel like I almost had a whole race or half a race to process that emotion. Whereas you were just sort of lobbed with this thing at the end of a race of you're finished, but you actually aren't. And I think that that would have just been 
so challenging and, and lucky that you had your, your beautiful wife there just to sort of calm you down. <laughs> and that might have been a different experience if she wasn't there. But can I just say, I, I remember running past your wife a number of times at the start finish line as I was completing um, my laps. And she did not look like she was running. Like she was all rugged up and standing. <laughs> I thought she was just literally there, like supporting you and cheering everybody on. And I had no idea that she had run pretty much the length of a half marathon in support of you. I just, I think that's incredible because I did not know that. What a phenomenal person to, to not only just be there, but to run it with you and yeah, good on her. Hey. She makes it look way easy. I mean, she makes it look way too easy. I mean, I know we were five marathons in at that point, but she made it look way too easy. I told her she probably could have done the whole thing with the way that she ran that half marathon. So yeah, I was, very happy to have her there and very glad she came to support us. Yeah, absolutely. So we finish up in Madrid um, in a less than uh, <laughs> lovely way at the finish line, jump in the jump in the car, go back to the hotel, get sorted. And then, of course, we literally jump back on a plane again. You know, I, I tell people we, we didn't have a lot of time, as you've mentioned, and we, we literally either did three things. We were in the air flying and at that point we were trying to eat and sleep at the same time or we were on the ground running or we were in a bus on the way to the race. That was literally the only three things that we did for seven days. Like there was nothing outside of that. There were no tourist stops. There was nothing. And uh, so here we are, Marathon 5, straight back on a bus, straight back on a plane <laughs> and um, and off to our, our sixth marathon in Brazil, which uh, we anticipated to be in the middle of the day, which is what ended up happening. So we started midday local time. And, of course, when you mention the words Brazil, most people are starting to think that that's a little bit warm. And uh, for us it was probably <laughs> a bit more than a little bit warm. It was very warm. Uh, the conditions in Brazil were, were very hot. I, I think I remember running past a a temperature check on the side of the, the path and it said 36 degrees Celsius. So if you can imagine, you know, like a tropical location, we were running alongside the beach and it's it's very hot and it's very humid and it's the middle of the day and there's tourists everywhere and now you've got to run your sixth marathon. So <laughs> definitely an interesting place to start. Um, what was your recollection of, of Marathon 6 after finishing in Madrid? So I think you bring up an interesting point that many people don't really appreciate until you start talking to them about the details of this trip. And that is, there was little time to do anything but what you just said. You you would finish running. You If you finished in a decent time, you were lucky enough to have a little bit more time to eat something. And by something, it wasn't like there were five course meals laid out for us. There were snacks and things that you just could get your hands on a banana, a candy bar, chips, whatever was laying around. There was fruit sometimes, but there wasn't a ton. And then you had to race back on a bus to a, an airport, go through, you know, checking bags and maybe pulling stuff off of or out of a bag and putting it on an overhead bag. Then you had to get on the plane. And the, again, there was more snacks. It wasn't like there was a lack of food and drink, but it was all the same stuff. So if you think quarantine's hard, if you think being stuck in your house and eating the same thing over and over is difficult, imagine being on a plane and literally having the same thing given to you every single day. The, the airplane food got old real quick. The candy bars and the Gatorade got old really fast because it was just the same stuff. And there wasn't a chance to really 
eat beyond that. Sometimes a few of the runs we got to, or races, excuse me, we got to eat at the airport and then it was like a fast food spot. It was a McDonald's. It was, you know, somewhere that we could grab something really quick. It wasn't like we ever got to go sit down at a restaurant and enjoy a meal together. That, that didn't happen during this entire world marathon challenge because of lack of time. You just don't have time to do that. And I get it. I understand why, but it does maybe help set some parameters behind what we were doing and what we were experiencing. You're just trying to survive at certain points. And so you're just getting whatever you can get to get some nourishment in your body and get some hydration in your body and then maybe fall asleep before the next race. So when we jet off to Brazil, Madrid was beautiful. The weather was gorgeous. It was another night run and it was cool. And it's my ideal running temperature for me. I love running in cold weather, not Antarctica cold, not subarctic cold, but like (laughs) 50 degrees Fahrenheit is beautiful. And that's what Madrid was. So I loved the weather in Madrid. I did not love the weather in Brazil. We get there in the middle of the day and it was hot. And I could tell on the bus ride to the start line that it was going to be really, really hot. We started at noon. So high noon local time in Brazil. It was so hot. The sun was at, at, you know, the, the height of the day, it got worse as the day went on. It was, I think 90 plus degrees Fahrenheit and the, the humidity was over a hundred percent, was at a hundred percent, not over a hundred percent. It was at a hundred percent. The UV index was off the charts and there were water stations, Gatorade stations, like ice bath stations along this route that we had to run. The locals, I think, looked at us from time to time like we were insane. And thinking back on it now, I understand what the locals were thinking because no way does this race happen under any other circumstance. If this was an official marathon sanctioned by some athletic commission, they would have called it. They would have said, this is unsafe for competitors. We're not going to allow them to continue to run. I'm surprised runners literally didn't just pass out. And that's a testament to how mentally fit and strong that our co-competitors are because everyone finished that I think, well, maybe we had one or two people drop out of that race, but most of the competitors finished and it was unbearable conditions. It puts Antarctica in a completely different category, but running in the hot. And I think uh, one of the runners said this, maybe it was Rick. He said, when you're cold, you can mentally trick yourself into being warm or you can put on clothes to get warm or at least create some sense of warmth. When you're hot, you can't take off enough clothes to get cool. You cannot cool yourself down enough to maintain a normal temperature. People were taking sponges with ice water and just putting over their head. It wasn't cooling you off enough. And the weather just did not relent. It was so, so bad. And then what happens on the back half of this marathon? I'm running along and I had another run, run, walk strategy at, at this marathon and I'm, I'm moving along and all of a sudden there's my good buddy, Beck, Beck Mitchell, and she tears off after we had done over 13 miles of running 13 and what's that in kilometers? So it's that 20 something kilometers. Yeah. I, I did about 21. Yeah. Yeah. 21 kilometers. There's Beck Mitchell, like a gazelle in the African, like, uh, you know, um, highlands running the last, I mean, literally looped me twice to finish the <laughs> marathon and like had this energy. I think I was with one of my other competitors. I think it was with Steve or, um, 
I can't remember who I was with, but I said, what did she just, what happened? Like, did she take something that we all can get our hands on? Because you had this unbelievable finish to the second half of Brazil. No one in the entire list of competitors finished as strong as you did. I don't, not even, not even Christina who won it finished as strong as you did. And no one was picking up speed at the back half of that marathon with those difficult, difficult conditions. So uh, that, I, that again is another fantastic memory of mine is watching you <laughs> just blow the socks off the finish line of that, that run. And I'm not, I'm still not sure what you did or how you did it. Yeah, it was such an interesting experience for me. And I love, I love how each race and the conditions in each race suit different people in a different way. Like you talk about the the challenges of the Antarctic and for me, like I'm never going back there. Like that was just a brutal race. And I, I was so cold that my memory of that is just like, you know what? I'm done. I don't need to do another one of those. But when it came to Brazil, like that was literally my favorite race. Like it's crazy. (laughs) You're melting. And I'm like, yeah, this is amazing. (laughs) And literally that was what it was like. So even though I was, um, I guess you could call it slightly injured. I had some, um, challenges with one of my uh, feet. I was, um, doing a walk run strategy with two of the other competitors. And, uh, as we were sort of completing that first 13 miles, it was run walk because it was super hot and we were all very sore. We've already done five marathons and we're like, you know what, we've got one to go and we want to finish strong in Miami. So, um, let's just, you know, do what we can in this first half. And it was literally like we got halfway through and at that half marathon, um, spot we just we decided that we were spending like too much time in the heat and we just kind of wanted to get it done and all three of us just made this decision we're like let's just turn the switch on and see what we can come up with like the the three of us had done the whole first half together and we knew that you know if we made that decision that we wouldn't be able to run with each other or walk with each other for the the last half but we didn't mind you know we really wanted to test ourselves and and see what we had left in the tank and it just so happens that I had a lot left in the tank than I thought so when I got started I was like you know what this is this is actually working for me I I'm enjoying the heat and uh, let's just see what we can do today and and when I started Lapping people, I was like, "Oh, okay, this is this is a bit different." <laughs> but um, yeah, a fantastic finish to to what was some pretty challenging conditions. Like as you mentioned, you know, you, you just can't get cold enough in a race like that. You can't cool down. It's not it's not something that you have the ability to do. So you have to kind of work out how to function and literally like run a marathon. Like people understand that we're we're performing and that we're running, but like a marathon on its own is a pretty big test of the human spirit and what our bodies can do. And to do seven of them in row is just, it's mind blowing. I, I still don't know that I've come to terms and act, fully comprehend what we did. And when I think about races like Brazil, I realize that we really did do some incredible things that week as individuals and as a group of runners as well. Um, so yeah, true testament to what we really can do. And Brazil, you know, it, it challenged us all, which was um, not exactly great for the second last one, but it was a bit of fun. And at least it was during the day. Like we got to see some stuff. So that was good. <laughs> um, so It's so funny because you think about like. Sorry, you go. Oh, I think I cut you off. I was going to say, it's so funny because there's so many inside stories that if there was a documentary created, which there was, and there is, and it's being produced right now by my buddy, Jeremy, who came on this with us. 
you'll get to see some of the inside stories to what happened on this this adventure because everyone like you said has their own inside story meaning there's the umbrella story of we're all trying to compete in the world marathon challenge and complete seven marathons in seven days on all seven continents and then there's all these little sub stories right and everyone has that and that's such a neat chapter in your sub story the second half of brazil and when you say you turned it on it's unless you're there unless you were could have watched it or there's a recording somewhere and we have video of it i don't think people understand you weren't just running and i'm running really slow and so you're running fast you were running. You had. A, I, do you remember what your actual pace was that second half of Brazil? It was a lot faster than what I usually run. That's for sure. I can't remember the exact pace, but to put it in perspective, that was my second fastest time for the whole uh, trip, and I pretty much walked the first half. So to be able to get a, a time that was the second fastest, that the back half would have been very quick. At very. That's a great way of putting it in perspective because I think. I, for listeners, it's hard to appreciate how fast you were going. That explains it. You basically walk the first half and you have your second fastest marathon by running at a blazing pace in the second half of that marathon. So fun to watch. So fun to have been a part of. So I just wanted to highlight that. Yeah, awesome. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, fantastic. So we finish in Brazil. It's still very hot. We get ourselves sorted and get out of there as quick as we can because uh, we were on a really strong deadline. We had um, time to meet, obviously. Um, we had to, to get to our final destination. So it was a, a relatively shorter flight from Brazil to Miami um, than what some of the other flights had been. So um, in those last couple of marathons, the the recovery time between each was actually a lot shorter than probably we first anticipated. And then of course we land in the dark in Miami, um, in some, some quite nice temperature at that time of the morning. Um, I think it was like 4am or something like that. It was, it was nice and early and, um, we get sorted and we get out to our, our final destination. And of course, when we got there, a whole bunch of the the runners had family and friends waiting for them, which was so great to see. You know, everyone had their little cheer squads and um, it was just so nice for people to be able to see family and familiar faces. And and I think going into that last race, there was a lot of participants that really appreciated that. Um, But we're here, you know, we've, we've done the whole journey and this is our last marathon together and we're about to officially complete the world marathon challenge in a in a few hours um and we get started just before sunrise so we we actually got to run while the sun was coming up which i thought was pretty spectacular um you know you've you've come into this world marathon challenge as someone who just wanted to really test themselves and and show people that anything is possible and here you are in miami in the final race of seven in seven days uh, what was going through your mind when you started in Miami? The final marathon, I had one left and I didn't know if I could actually even start the final marathon in Miami. I had gone into a bit of dehydration shock after the Brazil marathon because I just simply didn't take in enough water and electrolytes. And so I was, when we left Brazil, I was in a full like hoodie and sweatpants I had taken some ibuprofen and I was shivering cold. I just, because of the dehydration, I wasn't actually cold. It was not cold outside. It was still miserably hot, but I was, I was cold internally because of the, um, the temperature that my body was running at. And so if you think now about the fact that you can't even enter 
a local establishment without getting your temperature taken because of COVID and, and you know, the, the way the world has changed. I would not have been allowed in the United States if I showed up the way that I was in when I left Brazil. I slept on the plane. There was only, if I calculated this right, an eight-hour period of time from when the last runner finished in Brazil to when we started Miami. I took all eight hours of that to sleep. I didn't eat at all between the end of Brazil and the start of Miami. And then I, I get on this bus to the start line and the race organizer is telling us that we're not actually supposed to run this early on the boardwalk in Miami because it doesn't open until like six or 7 AM. And so we have to be quiet. And I'm just like trying to process this in my head going, wait, I, we're not supposed to even be out here. Are we going to get pulled off the course? Like what is happening right now? And we go out and I'm literally the last person out. And the reason I'm the last person out is because I had suffered a terrible knee injury on top of my stress fracture from the hills and banks and turns and undulation in Madrid. And that came back to, to bite me in Miami. And so I was the, the, I was the last person in the, the pack of runners for Miami. And the reason that's important is because as runners started to come back, because it was an out and back course, you had to go out to a certain point and run back. And then you had to do that like five times, I think. As people started to do that, I started to hear grumblings from the runners about how the race course was not marked properly. It wasn't like the the distance wasn't correct. It was going to put us at like more miles than than a full marathon, like significantly more, like five more miles. It was going to be much longer than what we were supposed to run. And so they were, the race organizers were scrambling to fix that. And I, I'm catching this from other runners as they're coming back, you and others that are kind of running at a pretty good clip. I'm all of a sudden being told, hey, the course isn't laid out properly. And I remember specifically talking to one of the runners and I was like, that's crazy how we have to go out onto the main boulevard and then come back onto the boardwalk because of the fact that the boardwalk was shut down. And they said, what are you talking about? I said, yeah, we have to, you have to go out onto the, and they're like, no, you don't. You turn around before that. And I'm like, no, the turnaround's way past that. And people, so I think people were so disconnected or maybe just confused on where the actual turnaround point was that there was a lot of, a lot of uh, hysteria that developed in that final marathon because people were trying to make sure that they ran the full marathon, but the turnaround point wasn't clear and people were trying to figure that out. I blocked all of that out after it started to to uh, be revealed to me. And I just said, you know what? Put your head down and go as fast as you can go to get done. Because we had until noon local time. As you said, we started at 4 a.m. We had until noon local time to finish this to complete the World Marathon Challenge in 183 hours. So all I was focused on was that get done before noon. All the other stuff was just noise and I didn't care about it and I didn't think about it and I just needed to get done. I was, you know, tracking my distance on my watch and I was just making sure that I was, you know, finishing the the race course in the proper amount of distance. When I get to the last lap of that marathon, all this emotion started to take over and I knew at that point I had calculated the time I was going to finish. I knew I was going to finish at that point. And that was the first time that I let myself accept that feeling because up until that point, I just didn't know. I didn't know if I was going to finish after 
Madrid. I didn't know if I was going to finish after Brazil. And I didn't know if I was going to finish after the first half of Miami. It wasn't until I got to that final lap that I let myself appreciate the emotion that was starting to to creep in that I had just done something pretty amazing, pretty monumental. Uh, I was going to be the first person in the world to have ever run this with an ostomy. And mm. I I think that's so fascinating. And I don't I don't say that so that I can be in the history books. I hope that people with ostomies go do this and blow my record out of the water and and do it way faster and I'll help them and give them all the encouragement and support I can because all I did was open the door to that that opportunity for these people. That's all I did. And so I did what I said at the beginning of this podcast. Everything's impossible until someone does it. And so I just did something that people with my condition with, you know, the challenges that I have now see it can be done. And so when I got to that final, that final like turnaround and came back, the emotion really started to come over me. And I didn't, I was one of the last racers to come in, but here's what I didn't expect. All of my competitors, you included fellow competitors were at the finish line. No one left. No one just Mm. finished and took off. That was the coolest experience. And, and I don't know if you experienced it the same way. And I'd love to know how you experienced that finish line because you had a much, you finished way ahead of me. So you had a much different experience of number of people that were done. But there was a, a guy, his name was Chen, and he was really fast. He's a very, very fast runner. And he was actually leading the entire world marathon challenge until he had to pull out in, uh, in Brazil because he got hurt. He stood at the finish line and held the finisher tape for every single competitor until the very last, I thought I was the last competitor, but I wasn't the last, until the very last competitor finished that, that race. And what a cool showing of, of you know just support and teamwork and overall love for his fellow runners. And all of you there when I finished made every bit of that experience worthwhile. And I let out this huge roar when I finished the the event because I had done something that I set out to do and I did it. And that, that feeling is not something that I could probably ever put into words. It is just that a feeling, but it was so overwhelming and so great. And I got my medals and, 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 you know, received congratulations from everyone and gave those same congratulations to all my fellow, fellow runners. And then I searched for my cell phone because my wife had flown back from Madrid back to Phoenix, Arizona. So she wasn't in Miami with me. And I just wanted to talk to her. I just wanted to hear her voice. And I pulled my cell phone out of my bag and she knew I was about done because Rick had finished well ahead of me and he was giving her updates on kind of where I was in the course. So she was like calling and sending text messages and kind of waiting for, for my call. So I call her and all I said was we did it. And I just started crying and I just literally like a baby just lost it. And it was all of the emotion, all of the training, the early hours, the late night runs, the alone, because you can appreciate this. And maybe only the other runners that did this with us can really appreciate this. There is a lot of preparation that goes into this. I don't care how accomplished you are. You have to do a lot of work to get here. And everyone wants to see you cross the finish line. Everyone wants to say you either did it or you didn't, and they measure you by your success or your failure, but they don't ever think about the preparation and all the work that goes into it and all the sacrifices that you made. And all of that hit me at that moment. And that's why I think I cried. I didn't cry for any other reason, but to appreciate the moment. And that was just the way that my emotion came out of me at that moment. But I, it was all, it was really, I went back six months 
to rehabbing from the injury and, and dealing with, you know, the sacrifices that I was making to get there and all the people that were supporting me and, and the people that have, you know, this, this disease that I, I have and, and the people that were watching me from afar and from all over the world, it, it was such a, a big accomplishment that it, it was, it was, you know, something that I really, to this day, still struggle to put properly into context for people and, and eloquently tell people what that felt like, but it was, it was unbelievable. It, it really is something else, isn't it? And I love how, um, you've just described that final race and, and all of the emotion that you went through. It's just so poignant. Like you, you, you became the first person with an ostomy to complete the world marathon challenge. Now that that's something to be excited about because you're pioneering the way for a whole group of people that maybe didn't think that that would be possible for them or that somehow by having an ostomy, it limits you in some way. And you've just, you've just proven that to be completely incorrect. You know, you've just blown that out of the water, um, which I think is just so outstanding. And then you're a hundred percent correct. Like it does take a lot of hard work to get there. And that, that was probably what I appreciated in my final lap when I knew I only had that one lap to go. I actually remember physically slowing down thinking when I finish this last finish line when I cross that line like this is all over and I won't I won't get to race again tomorrow because that's what we were used to you know we were used to getting up every day well not even getting up we just got off the plane and we ran every day for seven days and and I knew when I crossed that finish line in Miami that every single sacrifice that I made to get there would be finally worth it and it was very overwhelming and you were a hundred percent agree with the with the finish line like for the fact that Chen was standing there supporting all of the other runners um after you know pulling out in in Brazil due to injury I think just was true testament to to the character of him as an individual but then all of our other competitors standing at that finish line cheering us on and and literally waiting to experience that moment with us it really did um show and, and highlight the bond that we had all created over that week and I know um reaching out to and touching base with some of the participants since then like we, we really felt like that was quite unique. Like even talking to the race directors, you know, they, they did share that our, our year was quite well together in the sense of we all really encouraged one another and there was no, um, there wasn't really a sense of like competition, like I'm in it to beat you. Like that just, I never felt that the whole way through every single race. It was always like, we're in this together and we're, we're going to win. We're all going to win. We're all going to cross the line. Everyone's going to make it. You know, we're a team. It really was a sense of team, even though we were technically competing against one another. I just felt the support of my fellow competitors the whole way. And, and I know that all of the other runners resonate with that same thing. So maybe those conditions in the Antarctic was the thing that, you know, brought us together above all else. But honestly, that was such an amazing experience to go through all of those, you know, challenges, but to do it with a group of people that were just so happy to to help out. Like even on the plane, it was really simple things like, you know, sharing some of the the massage equipment or, you know, people would just give up really small things and share really small things that made the journey so much more valuable. And um, I'm truly, truly thankful for yourself and and for all of the other runners that we got the chance to run with. Um, I, I would love for you to share about your teddy bear before we finish up today. Um, in I think in Dubai, actually, I met Ollie for the first time and I learned about what Ollie was. Um, would you just, yeah, quickly share about 
who Ollie is and um, and what you did with him throughout the race. I thought that was a really special touch to to what you were doing. Sure. So Ollie the Ostomy Bear is a ambassador for Heather's Mission, the charity that I was running for. Heather's Mission supports those people that have ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. And Heather's Mission was started by my wife and then our friend Heather Christensen. And they they support and and offer resources and help and guidance to those that are suffering from from these diseases. Ollie is a bear that has a little ostomy and is delivered to those that have had these surgeries and live with an ostomy like I do. And when I say it was, I was careful with how I said that because at first the bear was designed for kids and it was a teddy bear and it would go to kids that had these surgeries and they wake up and they now have this little apparatus on their side and, and they have to try to live with it and make sense of it. And if they could have a teddy bear that makes them feel less alone, what a wonderful thing. What we've learned through the charity and giving these out is that even adults love this teddy bear because I think what we as human beings like is to not feel alone. We like to have some commonality with something else or someone else. And so our commonality on this trip was we're all trying to get through this really, really hard experience together. My commonality with iostomy is that I have a bear that has one as well. And so my goal when I took off to do this was to raise $50,000 in donations to buy these bears and send them to patients all across the world that have had these surgeries because it's not a disease that just affects, affects people in the US. It affects people worldwide. And we got pretty damn close. We raised over $30,000. And so we have deployed a bunch of bears out across the world. So now people can have their own Ollie the Ostomy bears. But what I did is, and this just happened to come about in in um, Cape Town, South Africa. I did not plan this. It was not something I, I wish I would have thought this through, but it was something that worked out for me. Because every course was somehow a loop or a lap, depending on how you want to say that, we had to do multiple loops or laps in every race. There every single there was not like you went out and ran the full marathon in one one big loop like you might do in a big marathon somewhere else. That's not how it works because there was such a small number of competitors, only 36 of us, I believe, that you had to keep them somehow condensed in order to keep track of everyone and make it feasible for people to get to aid stations and things like that. So on the last lap in Cape Town, I picked up Ollie and decided he would run with me. And I started to have a little conversation with him about how important this whole thing was and how important our mission is and how important it is to help others and make people feel included and make people feel that there's support and resources out there for them. And so I did that last one and crossed the finish line with him. And I have a photo of us crossing the finish line in just under five hours. And then I decided I was going to do that in every marathon. So I have a photo for all seven marathons of Ollie and I crossing the finish line together. Now, here's the thing you don't know, Beck. Ollie sits right here on my desk at work. He's in my office. And I was asked after the event, if when I got back home, if I would consider auctioning him off through the charity. And I thought about it because there's a bigger purpose here, right? This wasn't just about me. This was about raising awareness and helping people. But there's a personal connection that I have to this teddy bear. And yes, there are a lot of these Ollies out there. And would someone really know whether or not this was the original Ollie or not? 
I would know. And so the Ollie that ran the World Marathon Challenge sits with me in my office every day so I can see him. And he's not for sale. And there isn't an amount of money that anyone could give me that would make me part with him because there it's it's a it's a symbol or a thing that helps me remember what we just accomplished together as a group. And it's so much bigger than me or you or even the 36 other competitors. It is something that is life changing and life altering. And he's my my little memento of that journey. And I want to look back on him 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and always look back on this experience with the fondness that I do now and have him have that, you know, when I see him, that rush of emotion comes back to me and I'll always keep that very close and and very, it, it has a very special place for me. And so he sits with me on my desk and every day I get to see him and say hi to him. And, and we think about that ex- amazing experience that we just got to recount together and how fun that was. So that's Ollie the Ostomy Bear. Ollie is certainly is a wonderful little teddy bear and I love that um, he sits with you every day and I also love that um, he's going to inspire a whole lot of people to do some incredible things. So, um, yeah, well done, my friend. You're an absolute champion and I loved getting to know you. I loved doing the experience and I certainly loved sharing with you today about some of the the encounters that we both had. Um, and as we finish up today, I, I'm super keen to ask you one final question. Um, there's, it's probably a question you've already been asked a lot because I know I have, what's next for you? (laughs) I'm still working on the next, but here's what I'll tell you between what we just did and what that next is. There is a lot of amazing things that happen every single day that don't have to be so over the top or so big to be a, a thing that we talk about in, in the way that we've talked about the world marathon challenge. And I think that's what it's my biggest takeaway from this entire experience. And what I mean by that is this was maybe my impossible, but this does not have to be someone else's impossible. They need to go find their own impossible. And I say that to people that are struggling to maybe even walk around the block. And if their impossible is, I, I don't feel like I could even walk around a block, then make that their world marathon challenge. It does not have to be seven marathons in seven days on all seven continents. And so as much as I'm looking for that next and that that thing that I'll do that will probably seem equally as hard or maybe harder than what we did in the World Marathon Challenge, I'm very much enjoying inspiring others and telling them that the next or whatever they deem impossible does not have to be something that is highlighted in a podcast or on the news or you know, seen on the internet, it could simply be something that means something special to them. And that is what I hope comes from this entire experience. I absolutely love that sentiment that we all have our own challenges and our own limiting beliefs and we can challenge that um, in our daily life, not just on a global scale. So um, yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much uh, for joining us today. My friend, you are incredible. Um, I've loved hearing your story and uh, really looking forward to, I'm sure, sharing many more adventures uh, in the future. Uh, Thanks again for, for joining with us on the Run With Soul podcast. And as we finish up today, just remember, no matter if you're running a race, running a business or running a family, run it with soul. See you next time.